like to uh, read to you. It says, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so, Father, this morning as we approach your amazing word, I ask that you would speak to us clearly. I thank you for these, my friends and my family gathered here uh, this morning. I ask that you would bless them. All the things that may be weighing them down from the previous week, all, all the things they may be worried about for the coming week, Lord, help us to lay those at your feet. Uh, this morning. I thank you so much for the many that serve behind the scenes, for those that are up here leading us in worship, the sound team, those that serve our children, Lord. I ask that you would bless them uh, mightily, Lord. I thank you so much for the way that this church blesses those in our community. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our assembly, Lord. And Lord, we do. We lift up to you our pastors. I thank you so much for uh, Pastor Mike Cosper and Pastor Mike Ostheimer and Pastor uh, Mike Atkinson and Pastor Jason. I ask that you strengthen them, encourage them, use them uh, for your glory. And Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather on a Sunday morning to feel not only the, the crisp air, but to know that your Holy Spirit is moving freely in our midst. Lord, help us to continue in the very throne room behind the veil. Uh, this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen and amen. Pastor's been going through Romans on uh, Sundays for the last uh, six months or so, and, and Romans is one of those books. It's a big, huge theological uh, work, and the twin to that in the New Testament is the book of Hebrews. Uh, both are systematic theologies, but they're written to different audiences. Both cover large ranges of theology. Both are big, heavy books to dissect and to dive into, but both address two different audiences. You see, the book of Romans assumes that you don't believe in God. It's written to Gentiles. And so from the very beginning, chapter 1, it introduces you to the God of heaven who created all of nature, for which all of nature declares his glory. The book of Hebrews addresses a different audience, the Jews or the Hebrews, and the very first word in the book of Hebrews is God. Automatically assuming you believe in God, knowing that you believe in Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, but you are missing who God send Jesus. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is a theological treatise, a, a logical uh, conclusion, if you will, of who Jesus is. He is greater than everything. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than all of creation. He is greater than all the prophets of old. In fact, the word that is used more times in the book of Hebrews than any other book in the entire Bible is the word better. In Jesus, everything is better. It's one of those words that, you know, encapsulate who Jesus is in a perfect way, a comparison word. If you compare anything to Jesus, Jesus will always be better than it. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see two of the betters later on, but uh, some of the betters are better promises, better sacrifices, a better priest, a better sanctuary, a better possession, a better heavenly homeland. We just studied that last Monday. By the way, if you want to learn about the last chapter of Hebrews, you can come tomorrow night. And the best one, a better resurrection. You see, all those are better in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, we're introduced to this comparison of who Jesus is at a, as a better high priest. 
It says, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And in chapter 7, we're introduced to this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is one of those guys like, you know, many of the people that are introduced in the book of Hebrews, like Enoch or, or Noah in the Old Testament. All those people of faith that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. In fact, you have more information about Enoch in the book of Hebrews than you do in the book of Genesis. That there's more information about Melchizedek in the book of Hebrews than there is all the way back in Genesis chapter 14. In fact, this is where all the information is going to be coming from all the way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek was one of those guys that is introduced in the Bible. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no genealogy. Who is this guy? All the way back in Genesis and the book of Hebrews tells us, in fact, it expounds upon who this guy Melchizedek was. Chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Verse 3, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. And in those four verses, we learn something amazing about this appearance of a guy by the name of Melchizedek in the Old Testament who appeared to Abraham right after he had won this great victory. And if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 41, you, you read this amazing story. There's these four kings that had defeated these five kings, two of the five kings being the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, where Abraham's nephew had lived. And Lot was one of those captives that had been taken as collateral damage in this battle between these nine kings. And for 13 years, the four kings had defeated the five kings. They were in subjection to these greater kings. And the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah were part of these subjected kings. And they decide one day, we're going to overthrow these people that are over us. And they're defeated. The king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, lot as a casualty living in the land of Sodom. And Abraham gets mad. And he takes 300 of his best fighting men and he goes and he kicks rear end. And he defeats the other kings. And after this amazing great victory that we read about in Genesis chapter 41, he comes and he gives a tithe, 10% of all of his winnings to a guy by the name of Melchizedek that just shows up out of nowhere. Who is this Melchizedek? And in the book of Genesis, we have no idea. We're, we're, we're really clueless in the book of Genesis who this guy is. He's just a king who is also just happens to be a priest of a place called Salem. Thank God for the book of Hebrews. Because we get a better explanation for who Melchizedek was. You see, the name Melchizedek means king of, and it's declared there very simply for us to, you know, interpret. We don't have to, you know, add anything to the scriptures. It says king of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of 
righteousness. And he just so happens to be a king of a city by the name of Salem. Which means that he's the king of peace as well. And he's a priest receiving tithes, a sacrifice from Abraham. Now, I know you know this. You've probably heard the word Salem before. In fact, it's part of a much larger word that is very, very common throughout the Bible. Yeah, it's the the city that David finds makes the capital of the nation of Israel during both his and his son's reign, Jerusalem, the city of peace. And so this guy by the name of Melchizedek, during the time of Abraham, some 500 years before David is even born, is giving a tithe to the king of Salem, where Jerusalem will be founded in the future. And he's giving it to not just a king, but a priest king. A, a person in the Old Testament who holds both authority as a king over a city or a nation, but also as a high priest of God. The king of righteousness, the king of peace, a high priest that Abraham gives a tithe to after his victory over the kings of those that have been oppressing his nephew Lot. Hebrews chapter 7 continues on. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And if you read later on in Hebrews chapter 11, we find out a lot about Abraham. He was the father of faith, right? We all know that. He was the one that trusted in God and, and left his homeland there at the age of 70 and comes to a place where, where he had never been to before. He takes his wife, never having a child himself, being promised a child, being promised not only a single child, but as his descendants would be greater than the sands of the seashore and the stars of the heavens themselves. Having such great faith, he trusts in God, the Father of faith, the father of Isaac and Jacob and the Israelite nation. What is he doing? He's giving a tithe to someone else. He, he's giving as a person who is submissive, giving a tithe to someone who is greater than even himself. Verse 5, and indeed those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had uh, the promises. Now, this is one of those sections in the scriptures uh, that is absolutely amazing, especially us as non-Jewish people. We have to be taken into the culture. You see, there was 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. And one of those tribes, the tribe of Levi, was the priestly tribe. They, they were the ones that weren't allowed to own any land. That uh, They had certain cities that were set up for them where people could go to when they got into trouble, but they owned no land. Everything that they got was received from the other 11 tribes. All of their food, all of their sustenance, everything they got came from the sacrificial system. And so the Levitical tribe, not just the priests, but all the Levites as a nation or as a tribe, as a whole, they received their salaries, their sustenance from the other 11 tribes. When you had a sacrifice, a lamb or whatever it was, you would go and a portion of that 
was sacrificed to God, was burnt, and the other portion was given to the priests as their food. That's how they earned a living. What it's saying here is that Abraham's great-grandson, Levi, is actually giving a tithe to a greater priest. A priest by the name of Melchizedek, who Levi, not even being born at the time, in the loins, as it says here in the, the G version of the Bible, Abraham's loins, it being Levi himself, giving a tithe to Melchizedek. Verse 7, it continues on there. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Who is the one that blesses Abraham? It's Melchizedek. So according to this verse, who is the greater? Melchizedek. Wow. There is something going on here. Not only is Melchizedek a king of the city of Salem who has no genealogy, no father, no mother, no beginning or end. He is a priest continually forever and ever, who is this guy by the name of Melchizedek in the Bible? That even the Levitical priesthood figuratively gave a tithe through their great-grandfather Abraham to Melchizedek. And why is this so important? And why do Gentiles need to know this? Because, you know, we're, we're not in a synagogue. We're not in Israel. But why is this so important for us today, right now? Hebrews chapter 7 tells us it is absolutely amazing. It continues on in verse 8. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Wow! There's this guy all the way back in Genesis 14 by the name of Melchizedek, who is a priest forever, who's alive right now, receiving the tithes. Who is this guy? Who is this amazing king of righteousness, king of peace, who is also a priest? Now, I know all of you already know the answer. But can you imagine coming to the book of Hebrews, starting all the way back in chapter 1? I'm sure many of you have done this before, whether it's through a, a year-long reading program or something, and you have to check off the boxes and finally get to the book of Hebrews. You read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, you get to chapter 6, and it's confusing. And you think you've lost your salvation already. Oh man, Hebrews chapter 6, the first eight, nine verses is just absolutely horrific. You come to it, oh no! Thank God for chapter 7. Because without a high priest, without a king of righteousness, without a king of peace who intercedes for me continually, we would all lose our salvation. This is why it is so important that we have this amazing chapter diligently, meticulously explaining to us who Melchizedek is all the way back in Genesis chapter 14. Verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So look at all these facts that we see about Melchizedek. This is one of those men in the scriptures that we see, you know, just a little glimpse of in the Old Testament. But the theological book of Hebrews, not just in chapter 7, but throughout also in previously in chapter 5, 6, 7, later on in chapters 8 and 9, we're going to see more about this guy by the name of Melchizedek. 
the, the king of righteousness, the king of, pe of peace, a priest continually forever and ever who still lives now interceding for you, receiving tithes. Who is this guy by the name of Melchizedek? Now, you probably know this, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure if you've ever uh, read the Old Testament, you know about the Levitical tribe. The Levitical tribe was uh, not only made up of priests, but they were made up of all those that served in the temple. Not only the tabernacle all the way back in the time of Moses, but later on when Solomon makes the, the, the beautiful, you know, uh, temple that he made covered in gold that if you come on Wednesday nights, by the way, you saw it destroyed in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, but the Levitical tribe still continued on even after Ezekiel, even after Jeremiah. Jeremiah there seeing the very temple itself torn down and Ezekiel watching the spirit of God leave the temple. And the Levites, a guy by the name of Ezekiel, perfect illustration, being a priest himself, not having a temple to serve in. But the amazing thing is, and if you come on Wednesday nights, you're going to see this later on in Ezekiel chapter uh, 40, the temple is going to be rebuilt. And it's going to be magnificent, four times greater than the temple that even King Solomon had built. But the Levitical tribe was made up not just of priests, but mostly of servants. There was the three different orders of, of the lay priests that served in uh, the temple. They did various things. They made sure that the grass was cut. They made sure that the walls were taken care of. They made sure that all the utensils were cleaned. They made sure that everything was up to standard. But there was only a certain section of the Levitical tribe descended from the tribe of Aaron that could actually be priests. You see, there was one person. No, there, there was one man. No, no, there was one Jewish man. No, there was one Jewish man who descended from the line of Levi. No, no, even more specific than that. There was one Jewish man descended from the tribe of Levi through the descendants of Levi, through the descendants of Aaron, who could enter into the Holy of Holies one day a year. And that high priest would enter on the day of Yom Kippur. It was a very exclusive office. You had to be from a certain lineage. You had to be a certain gender. No one that just could walk in off the street could go into the Holy of Holies. And you couldn't do it any other day except for the day of Yom Kippur. Only on that one day could the high priest, after he himself cleansed himself, could enter into the holy of holies and intercede for the people. And this is why Hebrews chapter 7 is so important. Because there's one all the way back in Genesis 14 who is greater than Abraham himself, who is receiving a tithe, even from the Levitical tribe, who not only is a priest forever, but is also the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Who is Melchizedek? Continues on there in verse 11. Therefore, perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there of that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So if the Messiah were to come, and that's what the whole you know, treatise of the book of Hebrews is all about. If the Messiah were to come through the line of Levi from the descendants of Aaron, he could have been a high priest. But he couldn't do that because the Messiah had to come through the line of Judah from the descendants of David. 
And so there is a higher order of priests through the line of Melchizedek. In fact, it continues on there in verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. You see, the Messiah had to come through the kingly line, had to come through the line of Judah, through the line of David. And they were never allowed to enter into the temple. In fact, one of those kings tried to, by the way. There was a guy by the name of Uzziah. If you read about it, in, not only in 2 Kings, but also in the book of Isaiah. I, Isaiah is coming before the very throne room of a holy and righteous God. It is just a couple of years after King Uzziah had just died. And he comes trembling, knowing what happened to King Uzziah. You see, King Uzziah had wanted to be a priest also. Not only was he a king, but he wanted to also sacrifice to God. He wanted to be a part of the ritual ceremony. He wanted to be able to trim those wicks. He wanted to be able to bring the incense to God. And you remember what happened to King Uzziah. Boom, right there in the middle of his forehead, leprosy breaks out. And all the priests have to shuttle him out of the, the temple. You see, the two offices in the, not only the genealogy of Abraham, not only in the genealogy of the tribes of Israel, they always had to be separate. One, the kings from Judah, the priests from Levi, through the line of Aaron. In fact, in Zechariah chapter 6, Verse 12, we find this amazing coming together of these two tribes in such a way that only one person can ever meet the requirements of it. It says there in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out. He shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory. He shall sit and rule on his throne. That's one of the requirements of the Messiah. That's one of the requirements of the Christ. That's one of the requirements of the one who's going to intercede for his people. He's going to be a king sitting on a throne. But in the next phrase, there's this amazing title that is given to him as well. So he shall be a priest on his throne. Wow. The Messiah is going to bring together these two offices, the office of king and the office of priest. And he's going to do it in such an amazing way that the last phrase of verse 13 says this. And the council of peace shall be between them both. The king and the priest are going to come together in such a way that it will create peace. And only one can fulfill both. And so the book of Hebrews goes into this amazingly great detail about how this Messiah cannot come from the line of Levi. He must come from a higher order of priesthood in order to fulfill this prophecy. Yes, he must be a king and he must be a priest. But which order of priest does he come from? According to the order of Melchizedek. A higher order from which even Abraham gave a tithe to. And by consequence, his great-great-grandson, Levi, giving a tithe to as well. Why is this important to us? Is this just a bunch of, of history, just a bunch of details? You know how important this is for you and for me? Because we have someone who comes into the very throne room of a holy and righteous God and comes and intercedes for us forever and ever and ever 
and never gives up praying for you. You see, it continues on there in verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord, referring to Jesus Christ, arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. These could only be kings. You had to come through the line of Judah, through the line of David, if you wanted to be a king. And none of them were priests. And yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Wow! How long does this priest live? We saw glimpses of it previously back in chapter 6 and also the beginning of chapter 7. But this states it very, very clearly. How long does this priest live? Endlessly. Interceding for you and for me. A, a, a priest who will never die. You see, this was the problems of priests. Being men, being Jewish men, being Jewish men from the tribe of Levi through the line of Aaron. Guess what happened to them? They died. Yeah. Aaron died. Aaron's sons died. Aaron's grandsons died. They all died. That's the problem with people. They die, right? Guess what? You know, and I, I mean, you know, we go to a, a church and thank God we have amazing pastors. But guess what? They're going to die, right? Hopefully not soon. But, but people die. Thank God we have a king of righteousness, a king of peace, a priest who is of a higher order, who has an endless life, who does not die. Who intercedes for us. In fact, it goes back to all the way to Psalms chapter 110, verse 17. It refers to this, for he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, the book of Hebrews, not only does it have the word better more times than any other book in the entire Bible, the book of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament more than any other book in the Bible. Why? Because it's written to Hebrews. It's written to Jews. It's written to people who are based in the Old Testament, who get their authority from the Old Testament. You must prove what you are saying through the Old Testament. And Psalms 110, from which this verse is quoted from, is one of those amazing books or chapters in the book of Psalms, a messianic psalm. In fact, Psalms 110 goes like this. A Psalm of David. David being the king who received this amazing prophetic word from God, pinning this very short psalm for us. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is a, a king saying to a king, making him rule over all of his enemies. This is not a psalm of peace. This is not a psalm of, you know, oh, magnify the Lord. No, this is a, a psalm of victory over enemies. In fact, in verse 2, it says, The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power and the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. This vivacious, strong king given authority. And then verse 4, the middle of this chapter, by the way. It says, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. This is Psalms, by the way. Declaring this king is given victory over all of his enemies. Referring to the Messiah being a messianic psalm. And right in the middle it says this phrase. 
you are a priest forever. Wow. This king is going to be a priest. This king is going to be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The king of righteousness, by the way. The king of peace. The, the, the king who is in Salem 500 years before David even writes this psalm. Okay? I mean, prophecy is so amazing how it just all ties together. Genesis and Psalms and Hebrews all working together cohesively in perfect harmony, describing who Melchizedek was. We go back to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 18. We pick up the rest of the description here. Uh, by, by the way, you know that the book of Hebrews doesn't have a, a named author, too. It, it's this book that, you know, you, we can make guesses, you know, toward the end. But, but, but there's no named author. Not like Romans, where it's definitely Paul. That this unnamed author is, is writing the book of Hebrews describing who Jesus is in perfect harmony. Not only a king, but a priest king. The king of righteousness, the king of peace, a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18, we see one of these betters. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weaknesses and unprofitableness. The, the, the commandments themselves and, you know, any of us that have ever been alive or even tried to do anything uh, good, we understand this. The law, the commandments have weaknesses and unprofitableness built into them on purpose to show us that we are in need of something better. For the law made nothing perfect. Wow. And how many religions, how many denominations are out there that are trying to make you live by the law? And saying you have to live by the law in order to get to heaven or wherever. You have to do these things to be made perfect. Does the law make you perfect? No, it just shows you you're unperfect. Right? It shows all of us that we're unperfect. None of us can meet the standard of the law. This is the amazing thing. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope. Wow, and do all of us need that? Do every single one of us need that? A better hope. Who is the only one that has fulfilled all the law and is perfect? Jesus himself. There is a bringing in of a better hope through which we, including us, draw near to God. Do you understand why it is so important that we have a king of righteousness, a king of, of peace, who is also a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek because now we can go to the very throne room of God. Now you can go to the very Holy of Holies. Now you, every single time you talk to God, just like Isaiah, seeing those heavenly seraphim and, and, and cherubim, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You too can enter into the very throne room of a holy and righteous God. Why? Not because of anything you've done. Not because of the law. Not, not because of something that you have accomplished of your own doing. It is only through Jesus Christ. An endless priest who intercedes for us all the time. In fact, in verse 20, it says that. And inasmuch as he is, was not made a priest without an oath... For they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, both of those words, by the way, both of those pronouns are capitalized 
two different, but yet at the same time, same, him and him, both God and yet one. The Lord has sworn and he will not relent. That word Lord there is Yahweh, the name of God himself, declaring to someone different, yet at the same time, the same. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And by the way, Jesus quotes these verses too. And by the way, Romans quotes these verses too. This is such an important title, understanding that Jesus Christ, as the king of righteousness, as the king of peace, as a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, is also God. And yet not God the Father. God the Father speaking to him. Wow. And yet they are one. How can that be? Let's find out. Verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. There's the other better. Have you ever wondered why your Bible is divided into two parts? <clears throat> we call them testaments, right? Old Testament, New Testament, right? That, that word testament is exactly the same word that's used here for covenant. Exactly the same word. You, you've probably heard that word testament before. Maybe you've received something, an inheritance, and, and, and they read your last will and... Exactly the same word. This word covenant is the word testament. It's a giving of something to someone else. But when do you get the inheritance? When's the only time you can get the inheritance? Someone has to die. And who dies for you? The king of righteousness, the king of peace, the priest who lives forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Wow, how important is that? Let's find out. Verse uh, 24 there. Or excuse me, verse 23. Also, there are many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, wow, that floors me every single time. I mean, get goosebumps every single time I read that. Do you know how powerful that is? How we have someone who intercedes for us daily. Every single moment in the very throne room of a holy and righteous God. You see, I can ask you guys to pray for me and guess what? Some of you are going to forget. But, but if I come to Jesus Christ, you know what? He doesn't forget. He actually prays for me. He intercedes for me. He knows my weaknesses. And he inter intercedes for us. Zechariah, later on, just six chapters after the previous Zechariah that we read about earlier, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, gives this amazing prophetic uh, proof, if you will, in verse 10 there, it says, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they pierced. And again, you know who that is. Yes, they will mourn for him who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. He is a pierced priest. How important is that? Because every other priest always sacrifices something else. 
Every other priest always slashes the throat of a lamb or kills the ox or kills uh, the doves or, or kills whatever animal is brought to them. Only a priest from the order of Melchizedek, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, the priest who lives forever is the only one that was pierced for my sins and your sins. Who fulfills all the attributes of the Messiah who intercedes for you and for me. Verse 26, the very ending, sums it up like this. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He is transcendent. He is amazing. He is only one that can define the word awesome. He is king of kings, lord of lords, king of righteousness, king of, pre of peace, a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He is high and lifted up. And yet at the same time, Verse 27, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. You see those previous priests, every single time you would sin, at least once a year you would have to come and give a lamb. And guess what you would have to do the very next year? Why? Because you sinned. And then what would happen the next year? You sinned again. So you have to go and give another sacrifice. Can you imagine how amazing this is? How freeing this is that I have a sacrifice once and for all. Jesus is not on the cross. He has conquered sin and death one time. Forgiving all of our sins. The last verse, for the law points as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law points the Son, Jesus Christ, who has been perfected forever. Not only is Jesus transcendent, separate from sinners, high and lifted up, God incarnate, but he is also intimate as well, coming to the earth for you and for me. So that I have access, so that you have access into the very throne room of a holy and righteous God. You see, he's the pierced priest who comes before the magnificent monarch behind the veil. Every single moment for you and for me. There's this amazing hymn, those of you that know me. Or come on Wednesday nights. You know this. There's this amazing hymn. Verse 2 of this, this hymn. It says this. When Satan tempts me to despair. And tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and I see him there. Who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died. My sinful soul is counted free. To look on him and pardon me. Do you have a pierced priest who intercedes for you? If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If you've never come to that point. I invite you to come today. But if you're a Christian. Know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Just as we've read multiple times. There is a better, better, better. Better promise. Better covenant. A surety that you can have. Knowing that you have a high priest who intercedes for you right now. Who comes before the throne of the magnificent monarch God himself. And intercedes for you. Please stand with me as we sing this hymn. Before the throne of God above. 
I have a strong and perfect peace. Great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me hence depart. No tongue can bid me hence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and part me to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. At one with him I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God, with Christ my Savior and my God. And so, Father, this morning I thank you for these, my friends and my family. Lord, I ask you bless them. I ask that you would help us to whatever may be going on in our lives. Maybe our spiritual walk has, has fallen off. Maybe, maybe we're, we have questions. Maybe there's things that are going on or, or people that have misinformed us, Lord. Help us to always go back to your word. Help us to always go back to the scriptures, Lord. And so I thank you that we have a, a high priest, a, a king of righteousness, a king of of peace, who is also a, a priest forever, who lives endlessly, interceding for us daily, momentarily, all the time for us, a, a pierced uh, priest who intercedes for us. And so, Lord, I ask that you assure us today that you would give us that, that better surety if there's someone here today that maybe lacks that assurance or, or maybe has never even come to a, a saving knowledge of you, that they would come forward today. Lord, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to worship with my friends and my family, to be able to lift our voices as a sweet-smelling aroma before the very throne room of a holy and righteous God, knowing that you hear us even now. So, Lord, I ask that you use us for your glory. Bless these, my friends and my family. Bless those that are watching today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.